John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand everywhere on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Now, John Clayton. And joining us is Joe Fan from NBC Sports Northwest. And so, Joe, uh, interesting bye week in the standpoint that once again, for the second straight week, things seem to work out well for the Seahawks. And what I mean by working out well is that uh, the battle for that number one seed with two undefeated teams in the NFC, Green Bay and Seattle, now has the edge going to Seattle because the Packers got absolutely destroyed by Tampa Bay. And, you know, I guess those who are debating who, who do you root for, San Francisco or the Rams, well, now with the Rams losing to San Francisco, the Seahawks now have a game and a half advantage in the NFC West. Yeah, it was a fantastic weekend for the Seahawks, John. And, you know, from a team standpoint where you get Jamal Adams healthy, Rasheem Green hopefully coming back now for the bye, Philip Dorsett set to make his Seahawks debut in Week 7. Uh, but the results went your way as well, and you know, the Packers are no longer unbeaten. The Seahawks are the last remaining undefeated team in the NFC. The Niners winning gives Seattle a two-game lead in the loss column over everybody in their division as they head into you know a, a crucial five-game stretch where they play four divisional games. Um, so all good news there. I think beyond that, if you're looking into the the Russell Wilson MVP race, um, you know Aaron Rodgers was his biggest competition going into Week Six, and he laid an egg with Russell Wilson uh, enjoying his time off at home this week. So, um, you know, I think not only is Russell Wilson now the, the clear favorite to win MVP, or sorry, at least at this point, but he has some wiggle room to where he can have a subpar performance and still be right there in the mix. Yeah, no doubt. And, uh, I mean, where where would you now put Tom Brady? Oh, in fact, here's one. Where do you put Ryan Tannehill in the MVP race? Yeah, I think he's top three. You yeah. know, he's undefeated right now, and I think He's had big numbers in every game that they've played, and I think it was easy to forget about Tannehill when they had to take that COVID break because they had the outbreak in Nashville. And um, But he was tremendous against the Bills two weeks ago, and he was tremendous on Sunday uh, in that come-from-behind win against the Texans. And so um, I think he's top three, if not top two right now. And so, you know, you expect Patrick Mahomes to stick around. Who knows how much staying power Josh Allen has. Aaron Rodgers will rebound. Um, but Ryan Tannehill seems to be in this race for good now, and, the Titans appear to be a, a legit contender in the AFC. Yeah, no doubt, and it, uh, it looks it looks pretty good in that regard. Uh, what what other things caught your eye uh, as you watch Sunday football? Yeah, I think you know the Bears are they are they really a good five and one team, or are they as someone on Twitter I saw them call, uh, call them a paper tiger? Um, you know, I think it's funny how you, know, you, you hear the phrase "you are what your record says you are," but well, are the Bears really? A team that you're worried about at five and one with Nick Foles leading other defense seems to take a step forward in the last couple of weeks. Um, but all of a sudden that win against the Bucks looks more impressive, right? I mean, you know, I kind of looked that game against the Bucks thinking, uh, wow, I guess if the Bucks are losing to the Bears, you know, this team is, is far more average than, you know, a legit contender. And then all of a sudden we see a Tampa Bay team, you know, absolutely obliterate Green Bay and the defense looked like the best in the NFL and the pass rush was dominant throughout. And we saw, Dominican Sue looked like he turned back the clock a bit, and it was like Aaron Rodgers made fun of their moms or something because it felt personal out there. And man, they made him pay all game long, and um, that was certainly the most impressive performance of the week. I would actually say it was the most impressive performance of any team throughout the season. I'd probably put the Bucks win uh, against uh, Green Bay as one, and maybe the Chiefs win um, against uh, the Ravens uh, as the number two spot there for ranking these, and then maybe the Titans over the Bills. Uh, but yeah, the Bucks certainly showed their ceiling uh, on Sunday. 
Yeah, they really did, and uh, I thought that was uh, impressive. Uh, what What do you think went wrong for the Packers? Uh, you know, because they jump off to a ten nothing lead and give up. 38 unanswered uh, points. You have back-to-back interceptions by Aaron Rodgers, which he hadn't had an interception all season. Well, I think, you know, Aaron Rodgers has shown, the Packers offense has shown, if you can get consistent pressure, then you're going to have, you know, you're going to make it a long day for him. And the Niners did it twice last year. And as good as the Packers were, they got handled by the Niners on both occasions, you know, including the NFC Championship game. Uh, you know, I think you remember Niners fans were, were much, you know, more excited to face the Packers and had the Seahawks won that game and they had to see a Russell Wilson for a third time. So, you know, there is a recipe there to beat Aaron Rodgers, and it's not easy because he's so talented at diagnosing things and, you know, trying to make his own in-game adjustments to, uh, you know, mitigate that pass rush. But if you can do it like the Bucks did on Sunday, I mean, Aaron Rodgers and the, the, you know, the Packers offense looks a lot more like Jared Goff and the Rams offense when, you know, they're under similar pressure. And so, you know, that is the formula. And, again, easier said than done, but the Bucks executed to perfection. Yeah, no doubt about it. And so now it's a matter of uh, what expectations do you have tonight? Because the next opponent for the Seahawks, the Arizona Cardinals, play against the Dallas Cowboys, but they have to do it without Chandler Jones. They have to do it without Chandler Jones, but, you know, uh, the Cowboys without Dak Prescott, obviously more significant uh, loss. It might be an an okay game. I do think the Cardinals win this game. The Cardinals are a sneaky team. I think Kyler Murray is still working out some of the kinks of, of being a young quarterback in this league, and there's some growing pains that comes with that. I don't think he's fully arrived yet, despite having moments of, of absolute brilliance. Right now, there's more of that than, than the bad, far more good than bad. Um, but there's still a more turbulent team than maybe other teams in the NFC West are. But at their best, they are a dangerous team, and they've shown that this year. And I imagine that they will show the Seahawks that again in Week Seven. You know, I think this game is fairly um, you know irrelevant from a trying to you know from a predictive standpoint of trying to say okay, they beat the Cowboys by. 14 points, 21 points. They lose by 21 points. It's a close game down to the wire. I think whatever the outcome is, you'd probably still look at Week 7 and say, I'm sure it's going to be a close game all the way down to the end between the Seahawks and Cardinals. You know, I still anticipate the Seahawks splitting all of their divisional games. just kind of feels like destiny, given how close all of those games tend to be. Um, but I am excited to see this team start playing some divisional games, and starting with the Cardinals uh, will be a fantastic test. Yeah, no doubt. That would be a, a pretty good one to see. And so <clears throat> it's going to be interesting. And so now where do you put the Seahawks as they come back off the bye week? You know, they're still undefeated. You know, they got four real tough games coming up, you know, because you got three division games and in toward the end of it, you have a trip to Buffalo. Uh, is that one? Can they go three and one in those games? This is a crucial stretch. You know, I would, I would include the Cardinals game on the back end of that. So the five game stretch before you get the Eagles, Jets, Giants, and, uh, and Washington football team. This is a, a season-defining stretch, in my opinion. And if you can go, you know, I think three and two is something you would take. All of a sudden, you're eight and two going into that easier stretch that you feel like you can, you know, rattle off, you know, five wins in a row um, before finishing your season with four wins in a row. Um, you know, before finishing your season with two more divisional games against the Rams and Niners. I think three and two is the benchmark. If you can go four and one, you're absolutely elated. Um, and I think again. I'm just chalking up all of the divisional games as as uh, a split. So three and three there. Then it comes down to that Buffalo game. Can they beat the Bills on the road? And um, you know, I think I'm curious to see the Bills bounce back tonight and how do they fare against the Chiefs. But you know that will be a tremendous game. It's really their last remaining you know non-divisional opponent. That's uh, you know really a big time game given the the ease of their other non uh, non-divisional opponents. Mm-hmm. 
That's going to be it's going to be interesting to see. And what uh, impact do you think the return of Jamal Adams is going to have? It should be huge, especially with the pass rush. You know what he can do there. But you know, I'm curious to see how the secondary continues to gel. I think there are some growing pains when you're learning how to use a check piece like Jamal Adams. The Seahawks haven't had one like him before. You know, they're blitzing him at a far higher rate than they've ever blitzed the safety before. And so, you know, when you do that, he doesn't get home. It leaves some holes in your secondary. So how can you mitigate that? Is it limiting when you blitz him more? Are there adjustments you can make to make sure there aren't busts behind him and you're giving up that rapid amount of explosive plays? You know, I think that's what I'm eager to see with the return of Jamal Adams. There's no doubt getting him back in the fold will be huge for the Seahawks defense. I know he's chomping at the bit uh, to get back in the lineup, and he seems healthy. The bye week came at a perfect time, and you know it's all systems go for uh, for 33. No doubt about it. So it should be pretty good. What what do you have in the podcast, and what else do we have on NBC Sports Northwest? Yeah, overreaction Monday on NBCSportsNorthwest.com, where I take some takes from fans and decide whether or not they're uh, an overreaction. The latest podcast is with the great Danny Kelly, just talking about the Seahawks five and zero start and where things project down the road. That sounds good. That's Joe Fan from NBC Sports Northwest. Thank you for joining us. Hey, John, always a pleasure, man. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Hey, listen to the show via the 710 Sports app. It's powered by the Dubin Law Group. Coming up next, we're going to get the report card and get some grades going. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. It's time for the report card with the professor. In the report card, we would get out every day. We look at the good, the bad, the ugly, the smart, the stupid, what people say, what people do. We take the stories. We take the anecdotes. We take social media comments and voices and attach grades to it. And doing it as we do every day is Curtis Rogers. So, Curtis, how do we start out the week? Well, John, let's start today's report card by how last week ended with the New York Jets franchise, a team that I think is permanently uh, delegated or permanently relegated to the report card segment just because of how big of a dumpster fire they are. Friday afternoon, Greg Williams, defensive coordinator of the New York Jets, he was doing his weekly press conference uh, with the media, and he had a grand old time just throwing the Jets offense under the bus. It's not a very, very good number, you know, and, and a lot of it's not all defensively, but, you know, it's not a very good number. And uh, it's points on the board. We've got to do a good job with that. And how you do that is make them kick more field goals. Got to do a better job in field position type things. And uh, uh, as you see, the scoring's up in the league, but it still makes me sick. I always talk about setting defense back 100 years, okay, because you got to be able to place very strict, stringent defense. And the biggest part of it is when they get into those scoring areas, make them kick field goals. Don't let them cross the goal line. So, Greg Williams, uh, not uh, very complimentary of the Jets' offense. Here's what Adam Gase had to say yesterday following the Jets game, which on the CBS broadcast, the announcers had mentioned that Gase was none too pleased with what Williams had to say during the production meeting for the game. Uh, here is Gase with a little back and forth with the Jets' media. Adam, on the CBS telecast, they were quoting you from the production meeting last night, and they quoted you as saying that, you know, everyone needs to just shut up and play. I mean, that sounds like a fairly stern rebuke of your defensive coordinator. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't happy about it, but, I mean, we talked about it, and, you know, he, he knew that it just, you know, right now, I, I feel like, you know, our players are doing such a good job as far as trying to get things righted, and, you know, it's just everything we say is it matters, you know, and and he under, he understood that, you know, none of us can. We gotta we gotta set the right example. 
Adam, when when Greg comes out and says something like that, it, it kind of does paint the picture that there's disconnect on the coaching staff and an offense first defense kind of thing. I mean, is that? I, I I disagree with that. I mean, I know what you're saying, Connor, but you know, I mean, me and Greg talk so much, and you know, we we talk through a lot of things, not just football. Just we talk through things, and and you know majority of the time we're, we're exactly thinking the same thing and we'll have discussions if we're not and you know I just at that moment I, I mean I, we're, we're just trying to get guys to just focus on doing the thing doing things better and you know us as coaches we got to do the same thing John that to me sounds like the textbook definition of dysfunction oh yeah how are we grading the Jets coaching staff right now F I mean, it's. I mean, it's one where I think it's so bad that uh, what change do you make? Do you have Greg Williams, who basically says, "Well, it's not just a defense alone," pointing to uh, Adam Gaze. You know, it's the worst called offense in football. They got way too many guys injured. There's not enough talent. I mean, it is absolutely brutal, as bad as I think I've ever seen. And uh, you know, I've never seen an example where there should be a head coach fired like for Adam when you have disharmony on the staff. You know, players not on the same page in the locker room. You know, you name it, everything's bad on that team. I mean, it's one of the toughest Fs you can give. Yeah, got to give them an F. They're they're just an absolute disaster, and I'd be stunned if either one of Adam Gase or Greg Williams survives the month here. I mean, the Jets don't really get a leg up by firing their coaches now, but why continue to run out? What we've seen over the course of the first six weeks—just an absolutely brutal organization. Definitely. Also, John, on the report card, the city of Atlanta had one of the worst sports weekends uh, I can ever recall. Get a load of just the amount of losses that piled up. The Braves blew a 3-1 series lead in the NLCS and lost it in dramatic fashion. Georgia Tech had their worst college football loss since 1894, losing 73-7 to on Saturday to uh, number 1 Clemson. Georgia football lost to Alabama also on Saturday. And the Falcons won, which could throw a wrench into their chances for Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields, one of the two uh, great quarterbacks at the top of this year's draft class. John, how are we grading the sports weekend for the city of Atlanta? Uh, I'm going to give it a uh, a B plus because I think we're all enjoying it. I think that you can see that it's a dumpster fire right now with the Texans, particularly the bad uh, moves on personnel that came from Bill O'Brien. That's been a disaster. Then you look at the uh, the advent of what's going on with the uh, the Astros. Nobody roots for them because of the cheating that they did. So we feel good about that. So uh, I guess, you know, if you're looking at performance, I guess it's a D minus or an F. But I think everybody's kind of reveling and liking what they see in that. Yeah, the, the Astros losing three no- or they were down three nothing to the Rays. Uh, both well, the in the American League, the Braves were able to avoid a series collapse. The Braves, uh, they could not avoid it, going up three one and then losing in dramatic fashion. But yeah, the city of Atlanta just having a rough, rough go of it this weekend. Uh, it was all over the place in every single sport. They just took a loss. Not, not good. Also, John on the report card today, uh, a legend in broadcasting. Uh, voice of the NHL, Doc Emmerich, has announced his retirement from broadcasting. 74 years old. He spent 47 seasons calling hockey uh, for various networks, uh, most recently with NBC. 
and just an absolute pro's pro. He's sort of from your neck of the woods. He's from Northeast Ohio, uh, went to Miami of Ohio. Uh, but, yeah, he just 47 years calling games. Here was his call of this past season's uh, Stanley Cup final. Travel in front, around behind now, taken along by Radulov. Got it on back to the point, and another shot is blocked back down. They hustle back for it, and they're trying to get there, and they get a trigger pull of a shot that went wide that time was Goodrow, and the Tampa Bay Lightning have won the Stanley Cup! So that was Doc Emmerich's final call as uh, NBC's lead broadcaster for their NHL coverage. One call that I think may be more familiar to sports fans. It was a tough loss for the United States in the 2010 Olympics, but uh, here's Emmerich's call of that gold medal game. Crosby tries to dance through. Miller guides it away to the corner. Crosby up with it there. Punched along to Jerome Ginlin. Crosby scores! It's over! The gold medal to Canada! So Doc Emmerich, 47 years. How are we grading the longevity and just the greatness of him, John? Uh, I'm going to have to give it an A because he was just so good. And, you know, you hear that voice, and that was the voice of hockey. I mean, that's what you heard so much in such a great career. I mean, I feel robbed by the standpoint that, you know, he's not going to be doing the broadcasting when the Kraken take the ice and, you know, hearing those type of calls. But what a great career. What a great person. Uh, and what how good he's been. So he gets an A. Yeah, absolutely gets an A. I, I mean, just for any... You can tell his his crossover appeal is not just limited to hockey, but he's a name that is known to, to sports fans all over. Uh, he even called some NFL action back in 92-93, I was researching. He called four games a season for CBS. Uh, just a, a tremendous, tremendous career he had. Uh, he even called, I think, some baseball games, too, for the Pittsburgh Pirates briefly. Uh, just an absolute legend on the mic. And uh, he's definitely going to be missed on the call. And like you said, John, it's a bummer for us here in Seattle uh, getting to miss out on him calling cracking games. But he has more than earned this write-off into the sunset. That is it for today's report. Okay, be sure to check out the Professor's Notes at 710sports.com. Professor's Notes are brought to you by Infinity of Tacoma at Fife. Coming up next, we're going to have the Vizzy Hard Seltzer text line and take your text questions at 710-710. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. It's John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. Two hours every day, 10 to noon. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand on the 710 Seattle Sports app. And time to go to Busy Heart Seltzer text line. You can text us at 710-710. And so, Curtis, what do we have? John, the 425, wants to know, uh, who is your favorite all-time play-by-play voice in sports? Uh... This goes to uh, Pittsburgh and Bob Prince, you know, growing up and uh, listening to Bob Prince because he was such a great baseball announcer. You know, he'd sit there during the course of a game and he'd have, you know, kind of a, you know, a nice, nice little drink that he'd have going through the drink. And of course, if the games went extra inning, they became very entertaining. But he had so many different things. I still remember how many times going in the press box, and uh, you know, in, in particularly the lounge. And of course, he'd have Diz, the bartender, give him a drink. But he was just so great. And of course, in that age when you know the baseball announcers had such great personality, they were all different. They weren't cookie cutter or anything else. I think my favorite was Bob Prince. Yeah, growing up here in Seattle, got to be Dave Niehaus. Yeah, number no question. One. Yeah. That's, that's number one for me. Uh, nationally, I would say, 
Boy, I mean, Pat Summerall, when he was doing NFL games, you knew it was a big game when he was on the call. Uh, that That's one for me. Al Michaels, obviously, uh, for what he, he's done across all sports. And Bob Costas, that's another one on baseball, too. A lot of great, great guys uh, oh, yeah. doing games there. From uh, Let's see here. This one's from the 425 also. They want to know, John, at this point, do you think Quentin Dunbar is just a one-year rental? Uh, kind of, yeah. Because, again, it's like... A, you know, you 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 want to try to pay both cornerbacks, but can you play two cornerbacks and Jamal Adams when the cap's going to be down to around maybe 175 million? And I'd say no. And so I, I still think that uh, you know signing Shaquille Griffin is going to be important. I think you know, and again, I still look at it, and I don't know if anybody agrees or disagrees. I don't know if the team agrees or disagrees. You know, you have two options right now, and I think the two guys that you need to bring back are Chris Carson and Shaquille Griffin. Right, because they're homegrown, they've done well, they do so such good things, and one you can franchise and one you can sign. This one from the five oh nine. They want to know, John, did last night's game prove San Francisco is good or that the Rams aren't as good as everyone thought? Uh both. I mean, because I think that you can see San Francisco's still good to fight through the injuries and still be able to win. And that everybody that wanted to bench Jimmy Garoppolo, they were wrong. I mean, the only reason he, he failed last week was because he shouldn't have played because of that ankle injury. He was much better and more fluent. Uh, that was good. And then you also look at the fact that... Uh, I mean, you can see that you know they still have some pride on defense and did some good things. And of course, now what you have to say, where are the Rams? Because the Rams, you know, you can look at the good and bad. They got off to the four and one start, but you know it was you know they really they had a bad time against the 49ers, and their four wins are against the NFC we, uh, NFC East, which is two fourteen and one against the rest of the league. And so they're a little bit suspect right now. And remember, you know, they still have. No more games against the NFC East, and Seattle has three, and that's one of them is not the Dallas Cowboys. Sticking with the NFC West, the 425 wants to know, between L.A., San Francisco, and Arizona, which team is the toughest matchup for the Seahawks? I, I think the Rams right now, mainly because uh, you know they, they've had great success over the last couple of years against Seattle with Sean McVay coaching. And so I think in you know trying to find a way to hold down Aaron Donald, you know they have good talent on offense, particularly at wide receiver. And Sean McVay can be very difficult when he's calling out plays. But so I, I kind of lean toward them. 206 wants to know, John, does David Irving's reinstatement mean anything for Josh Gordon's? Uh, just how I think unfair the league is not getting word out about Josh Gordon. I think that's just unfair because they really should have done that, and they're not. And so uh, I don't look at that very positively because, again, you know, David Urban's now back. You know, Randy Gregory's going to be back next week on the field. What What about Josh? I mean, you know, if he did fail a, a test, then I guess let everybody know. This one from the 425, they say, hello, Professor. Do you think Ethan Posick has shown enough to earn a contract extension? Yeah, I think he should. Yeah, I think that wouldn't be bad because, again, it's like, uh, you know, at some point you have to put some resources, you know, down the line into uh, replacing Dwayne Brown. And now to put yourself in a position where you're replacing Posick and Brown, that might be a little bit difficult. Now, again, they do have B.J. Finney here, but don't you get the feeling that the fact that, you know, he's not played a lick, I know he's out there maybe three plays on special teams that uh, you know maybe uh, you know he might be trade bait for a team that's in need of a guard could be I know that we talked to Bill Barnwell yesterday or last week and he kind of put the notion out that maybe a team 
uh, was trying to dump a contract, uh, you know, might try to replace. Like he had Alex Mack being available for the Seahawks, and then you know you get the uh, the deal with Chris Mack's up, I think, at the end of the year too. But then you know you get maybe B.J. Finney going over and being the center for the Falcons. Five hundred nine wants to know, John, which quarterback is more likely to get benched before the end of the year, Baker Mayfield or Kirk Cousins? Mm. I don't know either, but I'd say of the two right now, you would lean toward Kirk Cousins. I mean, what, 10 interceptions? He was just absolutely brutal in the game on Sunday. You know, they're sitting there with a losing record. And say what you want about Mayfield. He didn't have a good game, but again, he was playing with the ribs. And you know with the blitzing that uh, the Pittsburgh had that uh, he was going to get those ribs re-hurt. And so his benching was related to the ribs. And now Kevin Stefanski, after the game, said, I couldn't risk putting him out there anymore. So I'd say right now, Kirk Cousins. This one from the 253. They want to know, where do you see Chase Claypool in the Rookie of the Year race? Hmm, good question. I think right now he's moving toward the top. I mean, I still think that uh, Clyde Edward-Hilaire is going to be one of the leading candidates, and you would take either Justin Herbert or Joe Burrow to put him in the mix. But I think that uh, as good as it's been for Justin Jefferson and as good as it's been for C.D. Lamb, you know, Claypool with, what, six touchdowns in two games, he's jumped up there and has got to be into consideration. This one comes to us from the 503. They want to know, John, do you still or do you think the Patriots make the playoffs this season? Uh... That, that's a good question. I still think they will, but I know that I was going on the 538 site, and that loss, now it could put them down to 8-8. Eight and eight. I thought they were going to be a 9-win team, but I still think they can bounce back. You know, they're, they're still in a division where they can win a lot of games, you know, with the Jets and Miami and all that, and we'll see how they do against Buffalo. But, uh, yeah, right now they're, they're in danger because their schedule is not as uh, – it's harder – then, you know, teams like the Browns, because the Browns are 4-1 and one and have an easy closing schedule. The Raiders have an easy closing schedule. I mean, you figure that you got a wild card going to the second-place team in the AFC North. They very well may not make it. And, boy, how bad would that be for Bill Belichick to now uh, go ahead and, uh, you know, you don't make the playoffs. And here's Tom Brady with maybe a 12-win team in uh, Tampa Bay that, uh, makes, that uh, goes to the playoffs and wins a division. 509 wants to know, John, will Jordan Brooks get the start over Cody Barton when he returns? Yes, if he's healthy, sure, and I think he'll be healthy. So, But now it's still a question because, again, that's an MCL that's going to be, you know, it's a three- to four-week injury. It could be tight, but I think, yeah, he, he, if he's healthy, he'll get the start. 425 wants to know, John, since he's on a one-year deal, where do you think Cam Newton plays next season? Good question. I mean, we have to sort out a lot of quarterback stuff because, again, you know, you're going to have so many quarterbacks that uh, you know may not be back, like a Drew Brees, a Philip Rivers. You know, there's going to be a lot of question marks there. So, too early. It was. Hey, listen, it was hard to figure out where he was going to play when he was available in free agency. So, to kind of pick out right now, it's almost impossible. Two hundred six wants to know, John. Uh, what do you make of Jalen Hurts so far in his rookie season? Mm, not much. I mean. Uh, He's, you know, it's like, okay, uh, he's kind of like, you know, Jordan Love, except he has a chance to be on the field because he's not the third quarterback. But, uh, you know, it's like I, I still think him going to Philadelphia in the second round was a mistake. And the reason I say it was a mistake, not because of Jalen Hurts, they needed a position player. They needed another wide receiver, an offensive lineman, or they needed something. And so they got nothing out of it. Same thing with Green Bay and Jordan Love. And say what you want, it's like Hurst may down the line, but they have a quarterback in Carson Wentz. Unfortunately, Carson Wentz doesn't have any healthy players around him. 
From the 206, they want to know, John, where does Aaron Donald rank among your uh, best pass rushers of all time? He's uh, one of the, I mean, you start to put him in that Reggie White category because, I mean, what was that? That was his 100th game last night, and he's got more than 75 sacks for a defensive tackle. That's incredible. And so I'd, I'd have to think that, uh, you know, I, I, I have him in that Reggie White category. 509 wants to know. Uh, will Rashad Penny have a chance to take the number one spot over from Chris Carson once he returns? No, I don't think so. I mean, Car- Chris Carson's the starting running back. Uh, you know, it's like, what's he going to be able to prove to show that he's better than Chris Carson? I mean, when he was out there the last couple of years, you didn't see it. He was good, but not great, where Chris Carson can be great at times. And then finally, John, they want to know who do you have tonight, or who do you have winning to this afternoon, I should say? Yeah. The Chiefs or the Bills? I got Casey and Dallas winning. All right. All right. What, do you, have, what do you have? Uh, I have Kansas City and Arizona winning. Okay. I'm just I'm just kind of going just on the the theme right now that all seems to be going well for Seattle in some of these games, and I just wonder how it's going to be with no uh, Chandler Jones for the Arizona Cardinals. True, that pass rush is going to be hurting without him, and uh, Andy Dalton is a he's a veteran quarterback. He knows yep. his way around an NFL field, but I still think Arizona's offense uh, may be a little too much. Yeah, but, well, let's put it this way: who the heck is going to stop DeAndre Hopkins? <laughs> You and me, I don't know. Nobody. Yeah, that is it for today's text. Question. Okay, so we and of course that was on the Vizzy Hard Seltzer text line. So coming back next, we're going to get our daily dose of the Gras with Dave Grosby. John Clayton, powered through the Alaska Airline Studios, on demand with the Seven Ten Seattle Sports app. Time for our daily dose of the Gras with Dave Grosby, who was in his absolute glory this weekend. I know that. It was kind of a light slate for uh, NFL football. Some of the good games turned out to be blowouts, but my guess would be with the fact that uh, you were able to enjoy two games, uh, game sevens in baseball. I think what only the third time that's happened in baseball history, you had to be in your glory. And you had uh, two great games uh, in that uh, even the Houston game was 4 nothing. They put the tying run up there late uh, and had a, had a great shot of it. But, uh, you know, congratulations to Tampa Bay for – for holding through that tense sort of uh, scenario. And then you had the Dodgers who played long ball the whole way and, and uh, rode uh, Kyle Seager's little brother who had an amazing series at five home runs. I think the last guy to do that in a series like this might have been Ken Griffey, although it may not have been that long ago. And Cody Bellinger hits the game winner. So uh, the ironic thing is, despite the shortened the season of only 60 games versus 162 and extended playoffs, the two teams with the best records in each league made it to the finals. Which isn't that the way it's supposed to be? Well, yes, uh, yes, and no. Yeah, unless, mean, there's some, unless there's some cheating going on. Well, <laughs> that's one thing. Uh, you know, the other thing is, you know, and it's true in all sports. You see it in football. You, you see it in basketball. You see it in, in hockey. It's often it's not the best team. It's the team that's playing best. You mm-hmm. know, is, is the one that winds up get, getting there. There are times when it's both, but a lot of times it's not both. But in this case. It was both. You know, Tampa was 40 and 20. I think LA was 43 and 17. They both won on, on what they were strong on. I mean, LA was particularly strong in their lineup, had a tremendous amount of power, and it showed up in their division series with Atlanta. And Tampa has an incredibly deep pitching staff, and it showed up in that win over Houston. No doubt. And so uh, that's great. How do you kind of handicap this series with uh, Tampa Bay going against the Dodgers? Well, I mean, Tampa certainly, even despite the fact the Dodgers haven't won since Kirk Gibson was around, Tampa's the big underdog in this one, and uh, we'll see if it plays out that way. I mean, I, I, 
I just I like you know both teams coming in healthy. I think uh, Tampa comes in with um, you know a degree of confidence in beating a Houston team that they hadn't been able to beat. Um, it, it's a new experience for them, and I'm not sure how big a factor that is. You know, I think there's probably more pressure on the Dodgers just because this is what their seventh straight trip to the playoffs. They haven't won that World Series since I mentioned since 1988. So uh, if they fall behind or if they struggle, there's going to be pressure on them. A lot of eyes will be, of course, on Clayton Kershaw and how he performs uh, in this World Series. Uh, you know, the Rays, I think they expected to be there, even with the best record in the American League. I don't know that they're necessarily the favorite to get to the World Series. So uh, it'll be uh, whether Kevin Cash can keep them playing loose like they have been. And they're going to have a variety of different heroes, including one 147 hitting catcher mm-hmm. by the name of Mike Zanino, who hit a couple of huge bombs and was a was a huge factor. So it's X factors like Zanino is what it's going to take for Tampa to win this series. I think they've got a great shot at it though, and and it uh, on paper anyway is a terrific looking World Series. Yeah, it really is, and of course uh, very entertaining to see. And I don't know, are the ratings starting to pick up at all? Uh, I, yes and no. I mean, comparatively, no. I mean, to where they've been. Earlier on in the postseason, yes, we'll see what the World Series does now. Again, I, I do believe that ratings were down for all three sports, more the, more of the fact that they were all playing against each other than anything else. Now basketball is gone. Baseball kind of got the spotlight. You've got L.A. in there, although Tampa's not a particularly big market. So I think ratings will be all right for this if it's a good series. Yeah, no doubt. And of course, uh, it should be a good series, and we'll see how it goes. And <clears throat> pressure will be on the Dodgers. What is it, three World Series in the last four years? Yeah, and, uh, you know, no, no success. And as I mentioned, I think seven straight or eight straight playoff appearances, something like that, and, and no World Series ring since Kirk Gibson circled the bases. So uh, the pressure will be on L.A., even though this, this – and, and, you know, you, you often say, well, you know, the sins of the past aren't visited on the present. It's not this team's fault that they've missed in the World Series so often. Well, as you just pointed out, John, yes, it is. I mean, this, this core group has missed in a couple of World Series, so – uh, it's a pressure situation for the Dodgers, no doubt about it. But uh, I think it's going to be a great World Series, and, and I'm rooting for Tampa. Uh, it, it's, like I mentioned to you, John, it seems like the year of the Rays, although what you had uh, Tampa Bay, or the year of Tampa, you had Tampa win the NHL, but the Lakers won the uh, the NBA, and now you have L.A. and Tampa meeting in uh, in baseball, and then we'll see if this what this means for football, because uh, Tom Brady and his crew looked pretty good yesterday. And, um, well, the Rams didn't look that good, though, did they? No, they didn't. And that, and it makes you wonder. And that's why, you know, schedule's so important. And, uh, you know, uh, in fact, I was just trying to finish up a Washington Post story on that. You know, and, of course, uh, you know, I, I, this is a year where there's more haves and have-nots than I've ever seen. Probably more have-nots. Like, I'll give you an example. Uh, you know, the there's like if you look at the worst 12 teams in the league and you've got about 10 of them right now with one win or less right uh their, their right. combined record is a 1354 and 2 now again where is that compared to last year as far as you know number of teams with uh you know t- uh, you know one win or less this late and it was like 8 last year there's 10 this year and then Denver in their surprising win over the New England Patriots that was now the uh, uh, only the third time this year that a uh, team with a losing record beat a winning team hmm. now you might have included right. Miami cuz Miami they were 2 and 3 
and you know, so they were a losing team, and they you know they got the victory over San Francisco. So now they're a three and three team, equal of San Francisco. But there's only three teams. Can you believe that? That uh, had losing records, beating a 500 team or better. We'll see if that continues. How much that has to do with with injuries and things like that going forward. But um, it was uh, it's an interesting stat, and, and it does feel like uh, much as Pete Rozelle, our the old commissioner, loved parity. You don't seem to have it in the NFL, at least uh, through about a third of the season. Yeah, parity's not there this year, but uh, Porty certainly was, and Porty was uh-huh. the Green Bay Packers yesterday. You know, and Aaron Rodgers completing only forty-five percent of his passes. Yeah, I mean, it was a surprise all the way around. I mean, that that performance was, you know, it was obviously anticipated with with, with Tom Brady and, and the Bucks, and and then they just put him away in the second quarter. Boom, it was over, and and uh, the Packers had played well throughout, laid a forty-nine-er style egg in this one, and. Um, you know, Green Bay had been undefeated. Now you're looking at the other, the other top teams and, and wondering, you know, how that changes the mix. Certainly the Seahawks at five and oh, and I don't, I, I'm reading all this about, you know, how they could be this and they, they could be that. Hey, they are what their record says they are, mm-hmm. but they're five and oh, they found a way to win. And just because they're doing it in ways that haven't been done before, that doesn't mean anything. I mean, teams have, have you know, you've had firsts happen before. Teams do things that other teams haven't done. So, you know they do need to get a little bit better on defense and whatnot, but you know it's a weekly thing. It's a it's it's about the matchups and and the the week the bye week. You know as far as the Seahawks went, were concerned, I don't think could have gone any better. No, it went perfect because again you had Green Bay losing, so now you have an edge there in the race for the number one seed, and then you have the Rams now with two losses, not just one, and you know a little bit of a distance, a game and a half lead in the division, which is huge. Absolutely. And, and, uh, you know, hopefully some guys, uh, getting healthier and coming back and, and we'll see, uh, Harrison in the lineup, I would imagine, uh, for the first time. So it's, uh, it's an interesting time to be a Seahawk man, to say the very least. It really is. And of course, that's our daily dose of the Gras with Dave Grosby. Dave, you got football coming up at, uh, two o'clock today and then baseball tomorrow. All ready for it, John. We'll talk again tomorrow. All right, sounds good. And that's our Daily Dose of the Gras with Dave Grosby. It's, I'll be back tomorrow at 10. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle.